Why are health regulators in Canada and the United States impervious to the objections raised by citizens citing well-documented research of the hazards associated with wireless technology? Is there a direct comparison between the way the tobacco lobby has misrepresented the threat posed by cigarette smoking and the way the wireless technology sector is misrepresenting the threats associated with electromagnetic field exposure? How does EMF exposure work on cells to increase the incidence of infertility, cancer, and other ailments? Could the advent of the fifth generation of wireless technology trigger the extinction of the human species? On this week's Global Research News Hour radio program, we reopen our inquiry into the hazardous effects of wireless technology and why governments in Canada, the United States, and elsewhere appear to be embracing this technology in spite of the warnings from credible scientists. We first speak with the head of a tech watchdog group in Canada about how and why Health Canada, the country's national regulator, is giving the green light to untested wireless technology being erected in our cities and public spaces. Then we hear from researcher Martin Paul about his research into exactly what EMF does at the cellular level and how all life on Earth will be impacted by antenna arrays no one will be able to escape. Finally, we will hear from an organizer in Kingston, Ontario, attempting to block the 5G rollout in his community. On this week's program, 5G and the wireless revolution, when progress becomes a death sentence. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of September 20th, 2019. I'm series host and producer Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabegaking, the homeland of the Métis Nation and the historical territory of the Nahiwak and the Nakota. We seek to provide you with access to analysis of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our program is available from the Center's website, globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. It's true that the U.S.-backed Syrian Kurds have conquered territory beyond their traditional regions in the country, where they only rarely constituted a majority in just a few local communities anyhow, and that there are credible reasons for believing that they've carried out ethnic cleansing against the indigenous Arab and Turkmen, a trendy term for simply referring to Syrian Turks populations there. But it's equally true that Turkey's refugee city proposal also amounts to a form of demographic engineering too, and not just in the sense of returning northern Syria back to its pre-war status, which is practically impossible to ever do anyhow. Only a fraction of the refugees and other Syrians that came to Turkey since 2011 are from that region, so literal outsiders would end up being relocated there. They, however, aren't being considered by Turkey as such because of their nationality as Syrians and their ethnicity as being Arabs or Turkmen, with the unstated notion being that citizens of the same country should have the right to move anywhere within its territory that they'd like. 
While that approach is generally the legal standard in most states, it's clearly being exploited in this case for self-interested demographic but also geopolitical reasons. About the first mentioned and going beyond the obvious intent of stopping the creation of a Kurdish corridor, Turkey wants to populate this sparsely inhabited region with non-Kurds in order to prevent the latter from ever reviving their expansionist dreams in the future, which they have since moderated by attempting to become more inclusive by emphasizing their political goal of autonomy instead of the blatant ethnic chauvinism that used to characterize their movement. That comes from the article, Turkey's Refugee City Proposal for Syria Amounts to Demographic Engineering by Andrew Koribko, posted September 18th, originally published on One World. Thailand is a relatively large Southeast Asian state with ASEAN's second largest economy. What it does in regards to building military ties with China and strengthening its economic and political resilience against U.S. soft power may set trends that are followed by others in ASEAN, opening up opportunities not only for China but other Eurasian powers like Russia, who can fulfill the role of balancing power not only against America's dominant position in the region but also against China from acquiring too much power and influence once U.S. primacy collapses. Expanding Thai-Chinese military cooperation is a sign of the times. It is a sign of U.S. primacy fading, of China's rise, and of a shifting balance of power. It is a time when nations must carefully execute this shift, ensuring the threat the U.S. poses to regional peace and prosperity is reduced, but also that China is never tempted with the opportunity to simply replace the U.S. as a regional and global menace. That comes from the article, China-Thailand Military Cooperation, Shifting Global Balance of Power, by Joseph Thomas, posted September 18th, originally published at New Eastern Outlook. The UK government's decision to prorogue Parliament till 14th of October is to be scrutinized by the highest court in the land on Tuesday after it was ruled by a Scottish court last week that it misled the Queen by suspending Parliament. Two cases are to be examined by the Supreme Court in London, the first being the one brought by activist Gina Miller that Boris Johnson had no right to shut down Parliament, and another will be the government's appeal against the Scottish ruling that the suspension was unlawful. Various scenarios are possible. The government could be vindicated by the court upholding the government's appeal against the Scottish verdict and dismissing Gina Miller's case. It could argue that the matter is a political one and not one for the courts. Or... It could rule in favor of the Scottish court whilst ruling against Gina Miller. In this instance, because it upheld the Scottish verdict, the court would have to rule that it was unlawful overall. That comes from the article, Boris Johnson government accused of misleading the Queen goes on trial by Johanna Ross, posted September 18th, originally published at Infobricks. The myth is that Magnitsky was an honest rights campaigner and accountant who discovered corruption by Russian officials and threatened to expose it and was consequently imprisoned on false charges and then tortured and killed. A campaign over his death was led by his former business partner, hedge fund manager Bill Browder, who wanted massive compensation for Russian assets allegedly swindled from their venture. The campaign led to the passing of the Magnitsky Act in the United States, providing powers for sanctioning individuals responsible for human rights abuses and also led to matching sanctions being developed by the EU. However, the European Court of Human Rights has found, in judging a case brought against Russia by the Magnitsky family, that the very essence of this story is untrue. 
they find that there was credible evidence that Magnitsky was indeed engaged in tax fraud, in conspiracy with Browder, and he was rightfully charged. That comes from the article, The Magnitsky Myth Exploded, by Craig Murray, posted September 17th, originally published on the author's site. All told, U.S. agriculture exports to China before the trade war were estimated at nearly $20 billion. Since 2012, China had been the largest market for U.S. agriculture exports. Now that is all but gone, a staggering blow to U.S. farmers at a time they can ill afford it. The loss of the ethanol market for corn due to the Trump EPA, combined with the latest loss of the China agriculture export market, would be grave but manageable, except for the fact they hit at a time when American farmers are in precarious conditions. Record rainfall across the farm belt in the U.S. Midwest earlier this season has meant a heavy reduction in both acres planted and yields for especially corn and soybeans. That comes from the article, Will the U.S. Farming Crisis Determine the Next President? by F. William Engdahl, posted September 17th. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. Numerous studies have detailed and documented the health hazards associated with electromagnetic field exposures, or EMFs. An international appeal to stop 5G in Earth and in space has been directed to the UN, WHO, EU, and the Council of Europe, as well as governments of all nations, imploring these world bodies to halt the deployment of the fifth generation of wireless technology, arguing that it will massively increase the exposure to radio frequency radiation, already proven harmful for humans and the environment. The text of the appeal notes that, in 2015, 215 scientists from 41 countries communicated their alarm to the United Nations and World Health Organization. More than 10,000 peer-reviewed scientific studies demonstrate harm to human health from RF radiation, yet wireless watchdog groups are finding their efforts to petition regulators and political representatives are falling on deaf ears. The Global Research News Hour reached out to one Canadian-based activist to try to get some insight into their experience turning their knowledge into policy. Frank Clegg is the CEO of Canadians for Safe Technology. Mr. Clegg spent four decades of his life in the technology sector. He's the former president of Microsoft Canada. And he's also on the Business Advisory Council of the Environmental Health Trust. Uh, He joins us now to talk about some of the, uh, well, the challenges, particularly within Canada, but uh, in other jurisdictions in terms of uh, communicating and uh, the the hazards associated with this technology. Uh, Frank, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. Now, as a, a tech industry insider and booster, what was it that made you reconsider your devotion to this uh, exciting new frontier of wireless communications? Well, I was, I was uh, involved locally in a couple of environmental situations, and I was invited to attend um, a session just here in, in our local community there where people were just talking about the concerns over wireless technology and the associated um, health effects. And so I had the opportunity then to make the, make the investment 
to deal with and to investigate and, and actually uh, meet face-to-face with over a dozen international experts um, who had all uh, either have, have medical degrees uh, as MDs or PhDs who focus, have focused in some cases decades on investigating the, the concerns and the possible health effects from, from wireless uh, technologies. So after that analysis over several months, I came to the conclusion that, um, that our current implementation of wireless technology is actually unsafe. Mm. And so you uh, you started to organize uh, that your your group is is principally involved in, in raising awareness about the concerns, but also in uh, lobbying uh, legislators. Yes, Michael. We are, we do two things. We focus on raising educating Canadians. Uh, about the potential harmful effects of wireless devices and how to make sure they use them safely, as, or as safely as you possibly can. And then also working with all three levels of government, whether it's municipal, provincial, or federal, uh, to try to get them to update the standards that we are, we are um, working with or are under the uh, guidelines of um, in, in using wireless devices in Canada. Okay. Now we've spoken on this show in a previous episode of the store about of the show about some of the health hazards. What were your experiences trying to deal with these uh, different levels of government? Well, it's 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 a very difficult topic. You know, if you if you go back to our track record in North America, if you think about tobacco or asbestos or BPA or urea formaldehyde, our 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 track record is is horrible when it comes to reacting. Uh, in, a, in a, an expedient manner. Um, the science has been available for decades, um, um, and in this case it's been available for at least 20, 30 years, um, and people are just slow to move. And, and also in the case of Health Canada, they're uh, stuck. The scientists in Health Canada that deal with this issue are stuck in the 1970s in terms of the science, that, that's the statements that were made about the science in the 1970s, and for whatever reason just refuse to accept uh, more current technology, or sorry, more current scientific evidence that shows that there is harm. Mm. Do you see any? Do you have any insights into structural uh, problems that 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 mitigate against uh, you know being able to react a little bit more uh, swiftly and responsibly to some of the studies that you've you know put in the, probably literally in the laps of many of these uh, bodies? No, I, I don't think it's a structural issue. I think I think it I think it's. Uh, People, as I say, the scientists have have their reputations, and in some cases, their egos attached to the to the position that unless the tissue's heated, it causes harm. And we have now got hundreds of studies that show that that's not the case. Um, so it's not a structural issue. I think it's just people that are ingrained in in old old thinking and and are refusing to, for whatever reason, are refusing to accept it. I, to your point, we have met with 50 members of parliament from uh, different parts of Canada and all different parties trying to get them to get on board and, and help and we have not been successful in getting anyone, certainly in this current government, getting anybody to champion this issue uh, this issue forward for us. Now, uh, Health Canada itself, our, our re- regulatory uh, that regulates these sorts of uh, concerns, uh, you, you, you could you talk about that specific interaction and uh, 
you know, I, I know you just mentioned that the, the tobacco lobby and, and its role in misleading the public and policymakers on the dangers of smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you see any difference, differences in principle or in degree between that kind of industry manipulation and, and the way the wireless industry has been manipulating uh, you know, the perceptions of, uh, of Health Canada and the people that you've been meeting? I, I think that, in fact, there's a great book um, called Doubt is Their Product by David Michaels that, where he lays out and he says that the, my industry, and I'll use the technology industry as my industry, is using the playbook from the tobacco industry. What you want to do is for every study that comes out that shows that there's potential harm, you publish several other studies that show that there's either no harm or there's a non-conclusive. And so what happens is the government gets constipated. They don't know what to do. So... Any, any time there's no action, that's a win for the industry because they continue to, to roll out the new technology at, a, at an ever-increasing pace. So, so we have, you know, you, you can see the, the, the publications, you know, the, the National Toxicology Program study, $25 million study funded by the U.S. government, came out with clear evidence of harm. And you can't get in, that's the highest category they have. Immediately afterward, my industries scientists representing my industry came out and started to try to cloud the cloud the issue and and declare that you know it wasn't that 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 clear we've had health canada state health canada state erroneously that the uh that the radiation levels in that study were 75 times higher than normal so i had the um one of the actually the the, um, uh, the individual who created that study uh 10 years ago write to the minister of health and and say that is not a correct statement. They are within the guidelines of what your guidelines use today. And still, Health Canada continues to make that statement, saying that the National Toxicology Program study is not really relevant because the radiation levels are 50 to 75 times higher than what we have from normal cell towers and cell phones in Canada. So, so not only do you have people stuck in, in, in using the old science and the old arguments from the 70s, they're refusing to acknowledge uh, the science that's available today. You know, peer-reviewed, published studies that show harm. Mm. Now, in terms of the uh, the forces within Canada that seem to be driving this, uh, I mean, because it, it does seem it, it seems as if the the, the major providers uh, have uh, you, uh, there's a lot at stake in terms of of profits. Uh, is that a consideration? Is that is that there any of that kind of uh, interference in in the way uh, the regulatories are seeing this, or is it as you just say merely people stuck in the past? Um, I I don't I don't know. I it's, I I know there's a very strong lobby. The Canadian Wireless uh, Telecommunication Association is a very very strong lobby group. I I can't point to direct information what what they're doing with health care or how they're lobbying, but I do know the material they're publishing. Hmm absolutely supports the old world and the, and the old science. The thing that I find particularly egregious from my industry is that um, if you go and, and buy a cell phone, whether it's a, you know, an iPhone or, Viper or, or an Android device now, um, you will see in, somewhere in the manual or on the, on the device, there's a warning that says, do not hold this device against your body. It has to be you know, anywhere from 5 millimeters to 10 millimeters away from your body to meet Canadian guidelines. So legally, my industry is, is safe because they are protected because they have this thing buried in the manual, 
But everybody knows that nobody reads their manual. Nobody goes to page 142, or in the, in the case of the iPhone, I think it's five levels below the initial screen that you have to see this warning that says, hey, just be careful how you use the device. So, so not only are, is, is my industry, you know, in my opinion, complicit in, 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 messing, in, in being aggressive about trying to fuddle up the science, I think that they're hiding behind a legal issue in terms of burying the warnings as opposed to doing the right thing for Canadians, which is to say, you know, let, let people be aware that, that, that these uh, devices are, are, need to be used properly or you can actually harm yourself. Talk about your experiences uh, going abroad, uh, particularly the United States, because you've, you've spoken to different uh, committees uh, you, that are e- evaluating this uh, technology. Uh, I mean, you've had the opportunity to speak to them. Uh, are there any more receptive to the, the, the messages that you're putting forward, or is, is it simply the, that stone wall that you've encountered here? No, no, it's, it's, the same, it's the same lack of any interest. The only success we've had is in New Hampshire, where there was a, a, a bill brought forward by one of the state representatives that was supported by uh, somebody in the Senate, one of the senators in the Senate, that passed through the legislative level in New Hampshire and the state legislature, where they put together a uh, task force uh, from representatives from science, science from industry, uh, some individuals, citizens, and, and legislators to actually study the deployment of 5G, which is the, the most recent uh, technology, um, and to make sure it's safe before they would allow it to be just uh, rolled out in, in the state. That's the only um, uh, one that we've been successful. Uh, most of the time, the senators or, or state representatives are have been talked to, you know, months or certainly weeks before we've had a chance to go in and, and present the alternative concerns. And there's just, you know, there's just so much hype and so much money associated with this technology that that people, you know, legislators just don't want to get in the way of what's viewed as progress and, and you know, fall behind the technology curve because they might be uh, non-competitive, which, which of course hasn't been proven that, you know, this technology, this next wave can do anything. There's a lot of hype about it, but there's no proof that it's necessary. There's actually some um, great articles being written now that are challenging the business case of wireless technology. Dr. Uh, Tim Shockley out of um, Colorado has has written a paper just challenging all the business case behind wireless devices or wireless technology, arguing that in a lot of cases fiber is 100 times uh, um, um, faster safer, uh, and, it's, and it's cleaner uh, from an environmental green energy standpoint, and in some cases, as I say, it's a better business case. Um, you know, when you talk about money as well, we, you know, we can't forget that um, industry, or I said industry, Science and Economic Development Canada, that runs auctions for this, these new waves of spectrum, and the last auction was several billion dollars of revenue that went to the government of Canada. Uh, from the telecommunication providers for this next series of bandwidth. So, so there's the, not only is there money to the telecommunication companies involved with this, in fact, most of their profits come from the wireless business now, but we've got our own government that's got billions of dollars at stake should this technology um, you know, slow down or should it be proven uh, or accepted or the proof be accepted that, in fact, it is harmful. I guess they would be that they're looking to develop new uh, secondary uh, industries with that infrastructure being laid out, and so there's uh, would be a lot of at stake if uh, you know if, if something else uh, interrupts that those plans that have been laid back quite a ways. 
Well, we're all, yes, and we're not saying to stop everything. What we're asking for is to say, look, there is no scientific proof that this new technology is safe. There is absolutely scientific proof that the 2G, 3G, the 4G, and the LTE technology is harmful, does cause cancer, does cause sterility, does cause uh, uh, development uh, in, in animals, and we believe in, in young, young children growing up, growing. So we have the proof that this technology is, harm, is harmful. We don't have any proof that it's safe. We have somebody challenging the business case now about wireless, where you have to put up new towers all the time and new antennas, instead of just running the fiber once to, to every location, and, and it's, it's, the cost is, is absorbed one time, not multiple times. So, you know, why don't we pause and take a look at this and say, look, let's have my industry invest to prove that we're not going to be harming people. Mm. So, what was what is your impression then of of the way the media, is, the mainstream media, is or is not covering this story? Well, we have not been successful in getting any major coverage from the main media, mainstream media, mm. and you know I, and we've tried a lot. We've we've you know we run seminars, we've run conferences. You know, just just so you know, Michael, the quality of the individuals that that we have. There's there's a representative who who uh, still today is an advisor to the World Health Organization. When back in 2011, the International um, Agency of Research on Cancer, which is a sub a, a group within the World Health Organization, came out with their designation uh, that it was a probable human carcinogen. Dr. Miller, who lives in the Toronto area. Was, was asked to come in and actually help write the section on cancer that IARC, uh, the World Health Organization's IARC committee, published. We got somebody who's a member of the team of a Nobel Pro, uh, laureate, who's a member of a, of a team that won the Nobel Prize. Other individuals who've been doing research, you know, from Yale, from Harvard, um, from Columbia, that have been doing research for decades now, proving the link between wireless devices and harm. So. So it's not, it's not like we don't have solid evidence, right? Well, we're, we're just having problems breaking through. And, you know, I've talked to technology invider, advisors for, you know, network televisions and national newspapers, and I just can't get them to, to sign on and write. I don't, you know, I, I don't I appreciate you uh, running this program because there's, there's very few out there and there's very few ways that people can, can get the information. But I guess along with answer your question, we have not broken through with, uh, with uh, a lot of mainstream well, we're in the middle of a, a federal election here in Canada. So what uh, advice do you have for uh, members of the general public who uh, wish to uh, see these uh, concerns properly addressed in a responsible way? Do, do you have specific advice for, for, for people, especially uh, as there are still a few weeks to go in the election campaign? Well, I think they should be emailing their local candidate and asking them their position on wireless technology. Are they are they um, you know are they concerned? Will they support um, legislation to to call for um, um, a review? Safety Code Six is Health Canada's um, guidelines, and they're just guidelines for the use of wireless devices in Canada. And industry, can, I said, um, uses Safety Code Six as the as the as the, the set of rules for the guidelines for for my industry to use the tech wireless devices. So. Um, so, you know, we should be asking every candidate who's running for election to say, what is your position on Safety Code 6? Do you support 
a review of Safety Code 6, a proper review. We had a review back in 2013, and the, the panel was completely biased. Uh, four of the eight had, had contacts with industry, and the other four were really not really specialists in the area. So let's do a proper review, uh, publish the results, publish the scientific evidence, publish your uh, decision criteria, and let's do a proper review. So every every Canadian who's concerned should email their candidates and ask them to, to, to take a position on whether they're supporting a review of Safety Code 6 and would support, hey, let's, let's slow this technology down until we can actually prove that it's safe. And so for those listeners whose curiosity has been piqued by uh, this discussion, uh, is there a resource that, uh, that you think that people should look up on the, on the Internet? Or? Yes, I, I, w- I would love to say uh, C4C.org, but I am behind on getting my 5G work up there. So, so I would say the, the, the one, um, uh, Environmental Health Trust, ehtrust.org. It's a group that uh, you said at, the, at my introduction that I'm a business advisor to the, to the group, to the, to the team there. I, I know the founder, Dr. Deborah Davis. She's the one actually who was uh, part of the Nobel Laureate winning team. So just a you know, very strong, very credible organization. I think if you're trying to get information on that, go to the environmentalhealthtrust.org and, and, um, and just read through. There's a whole section on 5G and concerns, and there's also a lot of published information on you know, on, on cancer research and sterility in, in men and, you know, uh, development, uh, education development in children. So it's all there. It's all that, all the material is out there. Frank, thanks so much. Well, you're welcome. And uh, as I say, thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to, uh, to talk about this. We've been speaking with Frank Clegg. He is the CEO of Canadians for Safe Technology. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Dr. Martin L. Paul is a professor emeritus of biochemistry and basic medical sciences at Washington State University. He's a published and widely cited scientist on the biological effects of electromagnetic fields and has spoken internationally on this topic. He specializes in how wireless radiation impacts the electrical systems in our bodies and has published seven studies showing there exists exquisite sensitivity to electromagnetic fields, or EMFs, in the voltage sensor in each cell, such that the force impacting our cells at the voltage sensor has massive impact on the biology on the cells of our bodies. He's the author of a May 2018 paper entitled 5G, Great Risk for EU, U.S. and International Health, Compelling Evidence for Eight Distinct Types of Great Harm Caused by Electromagnetic Field Exposures and the Mechanism that Causes Them. Dr. Paul joins us now from Toronto to shed some light on his research and its implications for the hazards posed not only by existing wireless networks, but the upcoming 5G rollout. Dr. Paul, thank you so much for making the time to talk to our listeners. Uh, thanks for having me. You've noted that established research demonstrates eight known and well-documented dangers associated with non-thermal electromagnetic field exposures. Could you briefly bring our listeners up to speed on what those hazards are before we explore the actual mechanism? Yeah, um, and in fact, I've added a ninth now. Um, yeah, they, uh, they include uh, a whole series of reproductive effects. And such that uh, I'm, I'm very concerned that our, our reproduction, particularly male reproduction, is crashing rapidly down to zero. Um, and uh, then there are a whole series of neurological and neuropsychiatric effects, which are also very far along in our populations. 
their effects on the DNA of the cells, where they produce, um, where, where the EMFs produce uh, breaks in the DNA and also oxidized bases, and those are important in producing mutations both at the cellular level where they can cause cancer and at the organismal level where they cause mutations in, in newborns. And, um, and then there's uh, uh, high levels of uh, what's called apoptosis, program cell death, an important mechanism for uh, producing the reproductive effects and also neurodegenerative effects. Um, and then uh, we have oxidative stress and free radical damage, which is involved in almost every single uh, chronic disease that we suffer from. Um, and uh, and then there are also hormonal effects. So almost every single hormone in the body is is impacted by the EMFs. Um, and uh, and then there's cancer, which uh, there are 39 different reviews that have been published on cancer and uh, causation. And uh, the only reason we're still talking about it, in my judgment, is because the industry has so much power that they they can raise things even though there's no science there. Um, and then finally, um, uh, I'm very concerned about cardiac effects on the electrical control of the heart. And those can uh, cause uh, arrhythmias and other changes, and uh, they can lead in turn to sudden cardiac death. So these are, these are all uh, serious issues. And most of, the, most of these are, as, as we'll say later, are caused by uh, excessive calcium in the cell, so that's another effect that occurs that it turns out to be uh, the, the primary cause of almost everything else. Let's uh, then examine that mechanism, the, these voltage-gated calcium channels within each cell. Can you explain how EMF alters the function of these uh, VGCCs and, and how their activation leads to the effects you just mentioned? Okay. So the, these uh, voltage-gated calcium channels, and as you say, I, I abbreviate those VGCCs just to be put them so you can talk about them more more briefly. Um, are um, they first of all? They are channels in the plasma membrane, the membrane that surrounds each of our cells, and so they have the property that when they're activated, which is what the EMFs do. Uh, they open up the channel and you get huge amounts of calcium ions flowing into the cell. It's the excess calcium in the cell that's responsible for most of the effects. And, um, and, uh, and so we, we'll talk about, you know, I, I assume later about you know, how calcium produces these effects. But all the effects that we just talked about uh, are produced uh, through excessive calcium in the cell from, from these VGCC activations. The reason that the, these VGCCs are so sensitive, and we're talking about very low-intensity EMFs, is because they have this structure called a voltage sensor, which the physics predicts is extraordinarily sensitive to uh, these low-intensity EMFs, to the forces of them. And, uh, and, and, uh, and we, we know that sort of based on the basic physics, but also based on the fact that they're are still other channels that also get activated, uh, voltage-gated sodium channels and potassium channels and chloride channels. And in, in plants, there are some channels that are called TPC channels. They all have a very similar voltage sensor, and they all get activated by the EMS. Mm. So, yeah, and 
so it, it has to do with the, the calcium. The, the, they're not just calcium, but calcium ions. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that, I mean, I, I don't know if we want to go into too much technical detail, but, but if you could give us kind of a, an overview of how those, the, 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 the chemical process that's taking place there, that's, uh, you know, all, with the extra calcium ions that are, uh, uh, how it's interfering with the, the, the function of the cell itself. Okay. Well, um, and, and let me just say, uh, so there are two pathways of action that this excessive calcium produces in the cell, which are responsible for most of the pathophysiological, that is, the damaging effects that are produced by the EMFs. And so one of them has to do with excessive calcium signaling. So calcium ions in the cell are, are, are very, very important for producing signaling responses. And, uh, and so when you get way too much of them, that causes lots of problems. And so that's, that's one of the ways in which, um, you know, in which the EMFs produce effects. Uh, that is, damaging effects, death physiological effects. There's another one that involves uh, high levels of something called peroxynitrite is a potent oxidant, and it uh, breaks down to form highly reactive free radicals and, and uh, oxidative stress, and, uh, and those in turn produce high levels of inflammation. Uh, so, and all of those things uh, can have and do have roles in terms of producing uh, pathophysiological uh, responses. So, uh, you know, so... Um, so anyway, those are all kind of known pathways of action by which calcium can act, and so there's nothing new about them. Uh, what's new about this is that, uh, you know, the EMFs are working to produce these things, uh, you know, through VGCC activation. Well, we're, when we talk about 5G, uh, we're not just talking about EMF exposures, but high frequency and, and pulsating. Why does that uh, increase the risks? Well, I, I'm most concerned about the pulsation issues. And so we have a lot of evidence, you know, many, many studies that have shown that, that pulse, and now, now I'm talking about, you know, the other kinds of EMFs, microwave frequency EMFs that come from our other devices, um, that, that the pulsed EMFs are much more biologically active than our non-pulsed EMFs. Um, and so the pulsations, it turns out, are very, very important in terms of the uh, in, the, in terms of these responses. And they also so the pulses also act via VGCC activation. They're just more more active in doing it. And so 5G is designed to to carry huge amounts of information. And the way in which the information is carried is through pulsation. So it is designed to have extraordinary um, numbers of, of, of very short pulses. And so this all suggests that 5G will be vastly more biologically active than anything else we've been exposed to in the past. And so that's extraordinary concern. Uh, and... Uh, you know, and the plan is to put out literally tens of millions of these antennae, these what they call small cell antennae, in close proximity to all of our homes, businesses, uh, schools, hospitals, etc., so that we can't we can't uh, avoid these exposures. And uh, so it's 
truly extraordinary. And the plan is to put, and they're already doing that in some parts of the world, as I think you know, to put these out without doing a single biological safety test on genuine 5G radiation with all of its pulsations. Mm. Dr. Paul, there have been studies on rats, and uh, I was wondering if you could take us through uh, a couple of the more shocking discoveries uh, from those studies and, and what their implications are for humans. Mm-hmm. There have been yeah, actually quite a number of studies that have been done that in rats and other rodents, mice and other rodents. Um, well, let me give you a couple of them. Uh, and these these don't... Let me say there there have been no studies done on genuine 5G radiation. There have been studies done on millimeter waves, the frequencies that will be used for 5G. Uh, and then there are lots of lots of studies on other kinds of EMFs. So um, uh, let, let me let me talk about a couple of them that I find particularly important. Uh, there there was a, there was a study published uh, quite a long time ago now by Magris and Zenos, um, who took uh, young, these, this was done with mice, they took young pairs of mice, so one male, one female, put them in a little cage on the ground in an antenna park. So there are a bunch of broadcasting antennas there. And the levels of radiation at ground level, where these were, were well within safety guidelines, so nothing should happen. What happened was that they found, and they did this in two different locations, so somewhat different exposures. Uh, at the higher level exposure, again, well within safety guidelines, uh, they produced one litter that was depressed in numbers. And let me say, litters in mice only take 30 days. They're really quick. And then you can get another one and another one. So they got one litter that was depressed in numbers. They got a second litter that was depressed in numbers. No third litter. Complete and utter sterility within uh, about 90 days. Imagine, at levels well within our safety guidelines. Um, and that's very concerning. But they, and 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 you know and and uh, you know I mentioned that there there are you know there are effects in humans on, on this that uh, that have been studied quite a bit. So we know there are effects in humans on reproduction, and um, and the, you know the mouse study shows basically that the reproductive effects are cumulative. That is, you don't get the full effect immediately, but after a period of time, you get more severe, much more severe effects. And we're seeing that in human populations now. Um, you know, particularly male fertility is is plummeting rapidly. And so I expect we're going to be, at the rate we're going, and this is completely apart from 5G, within two or three years, I think we're going to, we're, we're going to be approaching complete sterility in human populations based on how fast this whole thing is, is advancing. And that's without any 5G, without any expansion of 4G, without putting radar units in cars. All these things are being planned for us. Um, I believe we'll be going... Uh, well, our reproduction will crash essentially to zero, in which case we'll be extinct within probably within about two or three years. That's, um, that's quite uh, yeah. alarming. I mean, uh, two to three years, uh, complete yeah. human sterility. Mm-hmm. And that's not, with 5G not in the picture at all. That's right. Oh. Now, 5G, it could be months. Wow. You know, I mean, this is, 
almost literally unbelievable. But you know, um, but so you know, so let, let, let me just say a little bit more about what what we what what's known in, in human populations about male fertility. Uh, there was a, a review, a meta-analysis review that was published by Levine et al. in 2017, in which uh, they uh, reported that, um, in looking at studies that have been done all over the world, that among the technologically advanced countries, that um, sperm counts had dropped to below 50% of normal in every single technologically advanced country on Earth. Um, and uh, and reproductive levels had dropped well below replacement levels in every single one of those countries with a single exception now um since then so that was in uh, you know 2017 now we're talking you know there things have gotten worse in uh, in three different countries that where we have data um one was in switzerland where um Young males who should be among the most fertile, 62% of young males were sterile. Wow! Think about that. In uh, that was this year. Uh, last year there were two papers, one published in Finland and one in Denmark, where um, um, 78 or 79% of males were either in the low fertility range or you know, basically sterile as well. Now, the majority of those were in the low fertility range. But so, so these kinds of figures are absolutely unprecedented. I mean, if you go back and you look at fertility uh, studies that were done, let's say, 30 years ago, before we started getting our EMF exposures, male infertility was relatively rare. Most, of, most infertility in, in humans was, was female infertility. Now we're seeing huge amounts of male infertility. And that may relate to the fact that um, when that when when they did studies in animals to see which which uh, organs in the animals were most sensitive to the EMF to to the uh, to the damage produced by DMS, EMF, uh, they found that the number one organ was the was the nervous system, including the brain. Number two was the heart. Number three was the testis. So now that doesn't mean other other organs aren't affected. They are, but but uh, that may be one of the reasons why uh, a male infertility is is has, has had such a big uh, impact here. And uh, and uh, could so, you also speak to um, the the neuropsychological effects and and where yeah. that could lead us in a few years' time? Yeah. Well, okay. So the the the, the um, okay. So so what we have here. Are a, a series of, of of effects. They include uh, I can't sleep. I'm tired all the time. I'm depressed. My memory doesn't work. Uh, I'm anxious. Uh, you know that all, all the kinds of you know um, I've got headaches. Uh, there are sensory problems with the sensory organs. You know er, the, all kinds of, of of neurological and neuropsychiatric effects are caused by these EMF exposures, and we know that from very, very extensive studies. And we're talking about here in humans. Um, and uh, when you study what happens to the brains in animals, which are here we're probably talking at least about part of the underlying mechanism, 
what you see is that you see cumulative effects over time. So they start out relatively slowly, uh, and, and you get modest changes in the structure of the, uh, of, of the brain. But as you get, as you expose more and more for longer and longer time periods, the same, same kind of exposure, nothing different, uh, things get more and more severe. So the initial effects, the initial modest effects, are reversible. You take the animals out of the EMF and they recover. It takes them a little while, but they recover. If you allow them to be uh, you know, exposed much longer, they get very severe, they become irreversible. We have evidence from occupational exposure studies in humans from the 1970s and 1980s that basically the same thing happens with these neurological and neuropsychiatric effects we talked about before, that they start out slowly, but they get more and more severe with time. Initially, you can get reversion, or reverse, pretty much reversion back to normal, but if you keep exposing, uh, they become irreversible. So um, what that means, and this is, I want to say this very clearly, what that means is when regulatory agencies and governments make it much more difficult for people to get out of these fields and avoid these exposures, they inevitably cause hundreds of millions of people to become severely and irreversibly affected. And um, again, that's completely apart from 5G and further expansion of 4G and everything hmm. else. We are being severely affected by these um, already. Could you, just to, to, to close, could you uh, help, well, how do you explain how your understanding, how do you make sense of the, the uh, is it willful blindness or, 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 or criminal villainy? How do you make sense of this apparent unwillingness to, to, uh, you, to accept the data, the research that, that you and others have contributed to that indicates that there are serious hazards? I mean, is there anything that <laughs> comparable that, that it explains how we could uh, be embracing this technology uh, in spite of these proven hazards? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to imagine. Um, I, you know, I, I guess... Uh, I don't know, but, you know, I mean, what, what's clear, I think, is that the regulatory agencies around the world have been corrupted by the, by the industry and, and, and are serving the goals of the industry and not serving the goals of the people that they're supposed to be protecting. And that's clearly true among, uh, you know, uh, among, you know, for instance, the U.S. FCC, you know, has been described as being a captured agency. Um, the U.S. FDA isn't, isn't really much different. Um, you know, Health Canada has been uh, up to their eyeballs in this stuff. Um, I don't know, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and there are similar situations in Europe, uh, in, uh, in, in, in uh, Australia. Um, very similar situations, and these these organizations put out statements that you know that are you know um, def defending the industry position and defending the uh, safety guidelines uh, that have been uh, you know have been completely decimated by studies that have shown that they simply do not work. 
Um, and it, when it comes to 5G, we're, we're now looking at another generation of, of corruption where these agencies are starting to, to put out um, even much higher uh, allowable levels to allow 5G to go forward because 5G requires very high levels in order to work. Um, so, and I, I got a, um, a message just a few days ago from uh, Finland, for example, where the regulatory agency, in small print, in a document that's not widely, you know, uh, uh, spread, that they're going to increase allowable exposures by a factor of 20. I mean, these things are just absolutely stunning, you know. Uh, so how do you make sense out of it? I, I you know, it's, it's very hard to make sense out of it. It's, um, uh, and, uh, but I, you know, I, so, my, you know, my belief is we will be, we will be destroyed very rapidly from 5G, that even without 5G we'll be destroyed, uh, you know, far more rapidly than almost anybody can imagine. You know, within a few years, with 5G, it could be a few months. Um, and uh, and let me just say one other thing about 5G. 5G, you know, it's designed to, you know, communicate with what they call the Internet of Things, you know, billions of different devices. Um, the initial 5G effects will be less than anything you're going to have with a with a you know sort of a final mature system because initially you put this stuff out and it hardly has anything to communicate with so there's going to be much much fewer in the way of pulsations later on you're going to have many many more so you know we are getting reports of, of effects from the turn on of 5G uh, but they may, they're they're almost certainly just a tiny fraction of what any mature system will produce. Um, I mean, I you know my 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 argument has been well, we should never put this out without doing serious biological safety testing, um, and this has been resisted by the industry and resisted by the regulatory agencies, and the argument the regulatory agencies you know make is well our safety guidelines are fine, but in fact they're not they're completely bogus. Dr. Paul, I, I want to thank you for sharing these profound insights uh, with our listeners. Thanks for having me. We've been speaking with uh, Martin L. Paul, a Professor Emeritus of Biochemistry and Basic Medical Sciences at Washington State University and a leading expert on the biological effects of electromagnetic fields, such as those from wireless technology. He spoke to us from Toronto, Canada. Professor Martin L. Paul will be one of the guest speakers in Kingston, Ontario at an event in Kingston, Ontario's City Hall following a rally to stop 5G. We spoke to one of the organizers of the event. I've got Mark Gildenhar from from the group Kingstonians for Safe Technology joining me. Tell us a little bit about your group, how it got started, and, uh, you know, what what, what drove you to to create this group. Okay, well... um... The group has been in existence for about five years. It started off as a, uh, a small community group that was opposing the installation of a Rogers cell tower uh, here in Kingston. Um, and and uh, after that issue, it grew and became uh, what's what we 
We call ourselves Kingstonians for Safe Technology, K4ST. Um, and, and our general concerns are for the uh, proliferation of microwave radiation-emitting devices, cell towers and, and the like in Kingston. Um, my wife and I joined the group about three years ago. Um, we, we have a daughter who has uh, been diagnosed with electromagnetic hypersensitivity. Um, we, we are currently, you know, um, proposing to provide some resistance to the uh, rollout of 5G as it's proposed in, in Kingston. And, and so we've been growing our uh, group, trying to raise awareness uh, at the grassroots level, um, bringing this message to uh, as many citizens, residents of Kingston as we can. Could you give us an example of maybe a, a successful action that you've been able to uh, accomplish? We have been having communications with uh, government officials at all levels, um, particularly with some of the uh, city council members here in Kingston. Um, and, and this council, probably more so than others in the past, are, are fairly progressive council uh, and, and probably more receptive to, to our concerns. And uh, we've, we've had the... Um, the support of a couple who would would like to bring motions forward uh, to City Council with this regard. Um, it it is it is a, a tough battle, um, especially when uh, uh, public health gets involved because uh, they they maintain the position, uh, Health Canada's position that uh, all of this is 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 not an issue, that uh, wireless device radiation is in fact safe. Um, We've we've had a, a good assembly of people come to our screenings of Generation Zapped, um, something that we have promoted through flyer campaigns uh, throughout the summer. Uh, the attendance has been greater than we expected, um, and uh, yeah, the movement's growing. Talk about this uh, event that you're having on Saturday, September the 21st. It's uh, a rally, correct? That's right. So we're, we're assembling uh, in, in front of uh, City Hall, Confederation Park. Uh, we're, we're expecting a good turnout of uh, perhaps a couple hundred people. Um, that is taking place on Saturday uh, from 11 till noon. And following that, at 12.30, we will be heading inside City Hall to the Memorial Room where we have uh, assembled a, uh, a panel of experts, which will be um, uh, fielding questions from the public on uh, concerns surrounding 5G. And, and amongst those, well, the, the, the four panelists, uh, we have um, stellar representation from uh, world-renowned researchers. We have Dr. Martin Paul, Dr. Anthony Miller, Dr. Rena Bray, and uh, Dr. Uh, Thomas Cook, uh, locally here from Queens. Um, Queens has also been um, stepping forward uh, on this issue as well. They are, are hosting a, a lecture event the day before on Friday uh, on campus, uh, and that is being held um, uh, by in conjunction with uh, four four faculties, I believe, are uh, bringing that forward. Okay. Well, Martin, uh, thank you so Mark, excuse me. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, your website is k4st.ca. Yeah, www.k4st.ca. Okay. Well, all the best for your rally and uh, your ongoing work. Thank you very much, Michael.
Okay, take care. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour. You can hear our program every week on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States. You can also download our program from the website globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I'm series host, creator, and producer Michael Welch. Thanks for listening. Please join us again next week.